0: Today's gospel is one of the few stories about Jesus that is told in every gospel account. So unlike many of the other stories about Jesus, we hear this one every year. Now, it's not exactly the same every time, of course, but the miracle, the feeding miracle, as it's called, appears in every gospel. So based on the reading you heard and the title of my sermon, what it takes to feed 10,000, you know that today is all about the feeding miracle. But I don't wanna rush to that joyful moment, miraculous moment quite yet. That's what we always do. That's what we always want to do. But today's gospel account of this miracle begins far before the breaking of the bread and the passing of the fish. Verse 13 starts our gospel reading with Now, when Jesus heard about John. Stepping back gives us just a few more pieces of information about what that means. It gives us the answer to the question Heard what about John? John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin and friend, has been killed. This news comes to Jesus as he is out in the country doing ministry and attracting large crowds everywhere he goes. And as anyone who has ever grieved knows, it is hard to grieve in public. So as the verse says, Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. Grief needs time and solitude. Also, I just want to say I get this so much. I truly believe a day on a boat cures many, many ills. The people follow Jesus on foot from the town to the shore where he is on a boat. Just trying to be alone. And while I think he does take the time that he needs, I also think he knows he can't stay out there forever as much as he might want to. He comes ashore, verse 14 says, And he sees the large crowd and has compassion on them. So I want to talk about this word compassion for a minute. Word nerds, buckle up. If any of you subscribe to my weekly devotional, The Uplift, you heard me write about this already this week. It's been on my mind a lot lately. Compassion at its Latin roots means to suffer with, compatio. Maybe you've heard this before, but I think using this definition of compassion is pretty gorgeous. In an interview last year, comedian Stephen Colbert was speaking on the death of one of his children and of his mother, and he said, What does loss give you but an awareness of other people's loss? To me, this is one of the best explanations of compassion I've ever heard. Compassion, by this definition, requires you to feel or have felt the significant pain that another person is feeling. Okay, Word Nerds, this part is especially for you. The biblical Greek word for compassion is the wildest word. It is and You got to really get the in there. So splachnitsomai. It's so good. In, in the Greek lettering, it's very long. It's very long. This word only shows up in the Gospels as reference to Jesus or in a metaphor where the person is Jesus. For example, the father, when he sees his prodigal son coming home is moved by compassion. The same words. This word is awesome. It only, it means literally to be moved in your guts, which I also just think is great. It makes perfect sense when you realize that the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. So compassion in the biblical sense is the combination of love and pity showing up in your body. It is translated often as moved by compassion. Jesus was moved in his gut to love the people in need only after experiencing his own moment of grief and spending some time alone. This has really gotten me thinking this week. What do you need in order to be able to show compassion? Jesus, the Son of God, who we all can agree is not us, no matter how uh, big our Messiah complex may be, the Son of God needed time away, in silence, on the water, in order that he might be ready to offer compassion to those in need. So I'll ask again, what do you need in order to be ready to offer compassion? I think we're all so exhausted right now. I asked how people were doing or feeling on my Instagram stories this week, and there were so, so many responses. And basically, they all said a version of either overwhelmed or exhausted. We're all so tired. Tired of the politics of the overwhelming weight of systemic racism and injustice, tired of the fighting, the inability to listen, the conspiracy theorists, the science deniers, tired of worrying what school will be like in the fall or how many more months this virus will spread and tired of carrying the fear of the unknown and worry of which of our loved ones might get sick or die. We are tired and it's, too much sometimes to suffer with or to be moved by love and pity. No judgment. I'm tired too. I feel my temper short and my ability to be moved by compassion almost non existent some days. What do you need to be ready to offer compassion? So this story goes all the way through verse 21. We're still only on verse 14. So much happens before they ever eat a thing, and we always move so quickly to that moment. And it's not Jesus's divinity or compassion that brings about this miracle. It's the compassion that moves him to take care of the sick. That's what the next verse says. He uses his compassion to heal people, not to multiply bread and fish. It is not his divinity but his compassion that does the healing. This matters so much to me because in this story, we are not Jesus, we're not divine, right? We are not all God and all human. We're just human. And if divinity isn't what brings about healing and care and love, then there is no excuse for us to just leave that work for Jesus to do. Our work then is finding our compassion what moves us in our gut with love and pity. It's not about finding our divinity or our holiness. Jesus is now healing people and it's getting late. And the disciples remember, you know, all these people have left their towns on foot to come out here and follow Jesus. And the disciples look at this massive crowd and they realize that people are probably getting hungry but no one is leaving. I mean, Jesus is healing people. I wouldn't leave that moment either, right? I'd stay as long as he was out there healing. So the disciples tell Jesus, hey, send these people away. They need to go home and get some food. And Jesus says, they don't need to be sent away. You give them something to eat. Now, the disciples here, are ever practical, think they are offering a very appropriate solution to a very apparent problem. And Jesus says, Oh, that's not how this is going to go. You do it. The disciples look at Jesus and they say, But we have next to nothing. I mean, just two fish and five loaves of bread. This is 5,000 men and double. That count when you, you know, actually count women. Cough, cough, cough. That's a whole other sermon. We'll get there. And that's a lot of people. So what we have is not even close to being enough to feed all these people, Jesus. It may as well be nothing in comparison. I have so much understanding for the disciples here. They look at this enormous problem and they assume there isn't anything they can do. How quickly they have forgotten. Remember, Jesus has recently given them parables of mustard seeds and yeast and pearls. All small things to explain the invasive and sometimes being able to make something out of nothing power of the kingdom of God. How quickly they forget. So they hand over the fish and the loaves. Jesus looks up to the sky and blesses them and then hands them out to the disciples to pass out. And then the people eat not just the bare minimum, but the scripture says they ate until they were filled. And still there were leftovers. This miracle in this gospel, when it finally happens after all of the other things that happen first, this miracle is about abundance. There is enough. We don't operate like this most days. Most of us, if we're honest, operate just fully in scarcity models where we have to get ours before it runs out. Who cares who we step over to get it? The disciples are full in this model as well. There isn't enough Jesus. And Jesus just hands them bread. Those of you who volunteered at Holy Trinity in the past month and a half have heard their refrain. They say it at the start of every volunteer shift, there is enough. This is the model they keep offering to the people who come, who are scared, who feel like they don't have enough and who are operating in this model of scarcity. And they keep repeating their refrain, there is enough. If someone gets back in line for more, there is enough. It is so beautiful. There is no judgment, no requirement. There is enough. As I said already, more than once, if you've been paying attention, we are not Jesus in this story which leaves us just two other options for where we might find ourselves as we hear this gospel today. We're either coming to look for healing, members of that crowd, tired, overwhelmed, in need of care and compassion. And if that's you, Jesus looks at you today with compassion, with love and offers care and healing. Or our other option today is that we are the disciples in this story, overwhelmed by the enormity of the need in front of us, and we don't exactly have the imagination for what God can do with next to nothing. Jesus says, I do my best work with next to nothing. And I find it so, so comforting To know that my exhaustion and my own feelings of being overwhelmed don't prohibit God from using me to work in the lives of people who need me. That God can do so, so much when I feel like I have so, so little. God just keeps handing us bread. Go pass it out, Jesus says. Notice this miracle doesn't happen by Jesus walking around handing people bread. The disciples are key to this miracle. Jesus passes them the bread. And the same is with us today. Today we are handed bread. If we are hungry, we eat. And when there is leftover, which there always, always is, then we pass it on. Today's gospel is, in many respects, the first of many communion tables. When we gather around our own tables today, it's an extension of this first miracle of feeding. This bread is still being handed out, even today. It hasn't stopped. There is always enough. There is always more. There is always abundant bread. And that is the miracle of this day. Amen. So this miracle, I think we often spend so much time wondering how it happened, right? Like, did Jesus, like, how, how did that, like, how was there leftovers? How did it work out? Was it, was it that... I preached on this last time I preached for that maybe somebody sees the person next to them being generous with their food, so they are then generous with the food that they brought. Maybe it multiplies because it's harder to imagine people being generous than a miracle of bread just appearing where there was no bread. I think I have friends, clergy friends, who are like, no, I like magic Jesus. I want to keep it magic Jesus. And I, I appreciate that too. I like that as well. We spend so much time on the how of this miracle happens, that we forget to think about the barrier of our lack of imagination when it comes to what God can do with next to nothing. And so I think um, there's a poem that Mary Oliver wrote um, called Logos, which is about letting God do what God does. And so I wanted to end with that today. She speaks, I think, of the action born of compassion that God gives. For the people of god and how that is always more than enough always abundant always abundant bread so here's her poem logos why worry about the loaves and fishes if you say the right words the wine expands if you say them with love and the felt ferocity of that love and the felt necessity of that love the fish explode into many imagine him speaking And don't worry about what is reality or what is plain or what is mysterious. If you were there, it was all those things. If you can imagine it, it is all those things. Eat, drink, be happy, accept the miracle, accept to each spoken word, spoken with love. And so do we go in peace